Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project, where purpose-driven leaders unite to change the game of life and business forever. Here are your hosts, Susan Hobson and Rob Kalvaroski. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, fellow elite high-performance leadership coach and keynote speaker, MJ Jennings joins the show. We talk about how leaders can grow, letting go of past beliefs, how the growth mindset and continuous improvement allows us to fully become great leaders, and how growth will help you achieve your goals. Now, for folks out there, I see how hard you're working, how much stress you have, and you're always being asked to do more with less. Get more results, more projects, more goals with less time, less people, and less budget. You think that'll change in 2024? Can you continue working as hard as you are for average results? If your answer is no and you want to make your life easier, get elite results and turn your team into happy high performers in just 12 weeks. Send me an email, rob at elitehighperformance.com. to learn about the Leadership Launchpad program. We'll teach you and your fellow leaders how to turn your teams into happy high performers who crush their goals so you can make your life easier, get the results you want, and do it all without less stress. You can learn more at EliteHighPerformance.com. And lastly, hit subscribe to the Leadership Launchpad Project on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a rating and review on Apple and Spotify. That would be super helpful for all of us. Thanks for listening. And here's the interview with MJ Jennings. We are back. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. And Susan's out this week, but we have a fellow Princeton Tiger and elite high-performance coach with us. MJ Jennings is joining us. MJ, how are you? I am great, Rob. Happy to be here again. How are you? I'm great, and it's it's great to have you back. And for folks out there, so MJ was on the pod, actually, episode 50. So that was around 75 to 80 episodes ago. So if you go back deep in the archives, you can find MJ's last appearance on the show called Coaching 2.0. Now, for listeners of the show, you know we always start off with a quote. So I have one here from Brene Brown, and she says, Shame corrodes the very part of us that believes we are capable of change. MJ, do you want to kick us off and tell us, what do you think about that quote? I love that quote because I think it is so true, right? Shame paralyzes us in many ways and sadly, often without our conscious awareness. It really drives so much avoidance, so much self-limitation, and really hinders our ability to go and grow and become the people that we want to be. Totally. And, and even, right, if we talk about it in IFS terms, it will shut you out of being able to grow because mm-hmm. the protector parts will shut it out. So just for folks out there, um, yeah, that's where we'll start today. Now, MJ, for folks who haven't listened to your first episode yet, do you want to give us a little bit about you? Sure. So, yep. So I'm MJ, MJ Jennings. I'm a fellow coach at Elite High Performance. 
Uh, I now predominantly work on the corporate side of things. I think episode 50, I was doing a bit more on the athletic side, but I've certainly grown to realize that the need for help in terms of leadership and management and, and organizing a team kind of runs across any and all avenues. So I've been doing that for quite a while. Happy to be doing it. I am the proud mom of two young children. I have two boys that are three and six years old and my partner. And yeah, just happy to be here. Awesome. And you have a special announcement in a few weeks. You're going to be kicking off a podcast with Leanne and it's called the High Performance Coaching for Women podcast. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that show and where you'll be going? I would love to. Yes. So Leanne and I are kicking off this new podcast, High Performance Coaching for Women. We are so excited about it. Uh, And it is essentially bringing in subject matter experts in the areas of health, wealth, self, business, and relationships to just help provide valuable insight and guidance on how to become a high performer or sustain high performance as a woman. Um, And honestly, Leanne and I are really excited because it's going to give us an opportunity to ask questions that we still have about how to do that effectively. Uh, And really, we, we see it as an opportunity to listen to the audience, to take questions that people bring to us and help go out there and find tangible answers. Um, As you know, high performance is not something that's done overnight. It is a way of living. So just so excited to have those conversations and build that network and build that safety net and resources for fellow women just like us who are kind of out there on the daily grind, maybe a parent, may not, maybe working, may not, but the, the needs are there in terms of that support. Totally. And that is one of the best parts, at least for me, about the pod is is the ability to go out and get incredible experts and ask them hard-hitting questions that we want to know the answers to. <laughs> yeah, uh, right? You hear that a lot, that sometimes people write the books that have the answers that they needed, not the things that they're the expert on, but the challenge that they were facing is what drove them to want to find the answers, right? And so that's what we do out here. And and MJ, I wanted to give you this question because, I, I mean, obviously we always very much value growth at Elite. And so the last time you were on the show would have been 80 episodes ago. So like that would have been around a year and a half, maybe a bit more. And what was, what was, or what was, or what were the most impactful things you've learned since then? Oh, that's such a good question, Rob. I would say one thing that stands out for sure for me is learning to embrace that things like your purpose or your values can also grow and evolve over time. Um, I think early on, like I've always had this burning desire to like help people, but I think I've really learned and unpacked that some of the values that I hold were based on conditioning from young in age, right? In terms of what I needed to believe. And I think just giving myself the ability and the compassion to open up and and make that distinction, right? Is this a value that really inherently, intuitively means something to me or is it something that I've just learned to value? So I think I'm, I'm not as set in my ways in terms of how I feel about values and how I feel about the purpose I'm serving. And I'm kind of have this open space to 
to allow myself to follow where my excitement takes me in a way. So values are still very, very important to me and being purpose-driven is very important, but I don't see it as something that's as rigid that I think I saw it as for the first three and a half decades of my life. <laughs> it's funny because when when I started going to therapy with with my therapist, it would have been, I don't know, a few weeks in, we did the values exercise. And we talk about this in the values module, but basically she gave me a big stack of cards and I divided them into three categories. Like I sat on the floor in her office and I divided them into three piles. Like, yeah, no, and maybe. And mm -hmm. the things I came out with, and this was like, you know, I was like deep into the like depression and stuff. And it was like, you know, you needed money and being seen and being like delivering and reliability and competence and like all these things. And then I think we did it would have been probably about a month or so before I moved out here to Costa Rica and like massive difference. And it's the values were <laughs> so wildly different. And then we also did another exercise about like basically looking at the internal parts and so much had shifted as well that it's, and that's sort of the beauty of this work is, and like look, when we coach folks, right? We tell folks every six months or so, take a look at your values and sort of just reevaluate. And mm -hmm. that's where that can pivot, right? Is like my two core values now are wisdom and impact. And I can tell you this much on the first the first time I walked into my therapist's office, those mm -hmm. weren't even on the list. Yeah, right? It's so true. And even with clients we've worked with before, it's it's interesting. And I think what can highlight what we've learned to value is, you know, we'll say, okay, make a values list for work and make a values list for home, right? Or <laughs> they come in with a values list at work and it's like, well, is that the same at home? Oh, well, no why not? Right. And it's even the fact that we feel so strongly tied to certain values in certain compartments of our lives is a sign that those values might be linked to learned beliefs, right? And it might be learned value systems. And for me, I think it's just a fundamental sign of actual growth mindset is to be able to give yourself permission to release yourself from those values that I mean, it's scary, right? Like our values are our guiding compass. And I think if we've relied on the value of something for so long, it can be really scary to relinquish that control, right? Or even to consider, oh, maybe that isn't what's most important to me. But you're right, once you get there, it really can open you up for more fulfilling, more sustaining values that align with who you are now, as opposed to being tied or limited by values that you learned from a young age. Totally. And maybe MJ, can you tell us a little about your experience? Like you mentioned, it's kind of scary to let mm -hmm. some of these things go. And often, like when I walked into my psychiatrist or psychologist's office, I was still trying to figure out who I was because the idea that I had was already destroyed. And I don't think you necessarily had as much of that, but you sort of had an idea and now you're trying to like pivot into this new idea. Like how has that process been for you? And for the folks out there, like who are thinking, you know, Hey, maybe my values list isn't the one I 
thought it would be. Like, how is that process of finding the new one? That is a great question. I think, again, the, the first step is kind of giving yourself permission, right? So we always say like awareness comes before intelligence. So I think the first step is, is becoming aware that you may have a value that doesn't align with what you're feeling, right? Or even just the awareness that the values that you really feel tied to in this moment aren't necessarily intrinsically yours, right? That they were learned. So opening yourself up with curiosity without fear of judgment, right? Which is hard because growing up, as we know, early in life, there's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of expectation. It kind of ties into the conversation around shame. But I think it's really being aware of the possibility that these are not your values and leaning in with curiosity and giving yourself permission to ask who you are. Because often if we don't take that time to ask ourselves who we are, as you know, we spend our whole lives being what we've been told to be. And that asking, how does that look to you? It requires vulnerability to ask yourself. It requires empathy for yourself in that moment. I think the biggest thing that it takes is being in a certain state where you are open and receptive to that question, because it's one thing to ask yourself that question, but again, it's, a, it's essentially a conversation you're having with yourself, right? If I wanna ask myself, what do I really want? I also have to make sure that the receiver of that question is in a state and a mindset where they're capable of answering it in an authentic way. So for me, anytime I get curious, and of course you pick up a lot of these things through therapy, but it's breath work. It's making sure you're in a neutral state an open state um, and just not being judgmental of what comes up. I mean, both you and I have had conversations about that, especially as, you navigate things like therapy, like really learning to not judge yourself for the thoughts or the emotions that come up. Because I think over time, if you do that, you build a sense of trust with yourself where you can then open the door to be authentic and be honest and be sincere. And that to me is why, that's why I, I love IFS because it allows you to put a distance between you and how you feel and you and your thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I know we use this in conflict management, right? Is like, it's not that Rob is being bad. It's that a part of Rob was triggered and that part is well, saying hurtful things or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And I think if you think yourself in that way, which obviously we, we subscribe to that here, but it's like, that's the way that you can start to, one is disidentify with values that your, you know, some of these judgment aspects of you or the shame driven parts are telling you that you need to be. And then the other side of it is like not being, you know, angry or resentful at those parts for having those beliefs because they actually don't want to do it. They just... Mm -hmm that was the best way they could at the time they were created, which was when you were a child. <laughs> That's right. That's right, right? 
And it's, again, it brings me back to this idea of shame, right? Because shame is like the key driver of that inability to be compassionate with yourself, to look at yourself judgment free. And it's so interesting because when you think of shame, like, of course, it's this complex, this powerful emotion that arises from a deep sense of inadequacy or unworthiness, right? And and that emotion is created, it's essentially socially constructed, right? It's an idea of how we see ourselves through the eyes of others, right? Through the times that we have been judged, when we've learned that we're limited in certain ways or we're unworthy in certain ways. And I think it is such, it's really in the driver's seat behind our ability, like it behind blocking us to connect with ourselves in that sort of authentic judgment free way. Yeah. And one thing I would love to pick your brain about MJ is you mentioned developing a relationship with yourself. Can you describe that for folks? And like, why is that important? Because I'm sure just like self-awareness, right? Everyone, everyone thinks that they have that relationship with themselves, but probably not as many folks do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and honestly, I would maybe argue that most people don't. Most people don't even know it exists. I know when I walked into Susan's office many a year ago now, and she introduced this idea of relationship with self, I was like, what are you talking about? What does that mean? <laughs> I had never given it the time of day. I had never considered the idea of consciously showing up in support of myself because the way I was wired was to subconsciously or unconsciously self-sabotage, right? Or limit my abilities based on beliefs that I had developed over the years. So relationship with self is is, is exactly the same as what you would picture in a healthy relationship with someone else, right? It's openness and transparency. It's honesty. It's, you know, the, the love and support, right? And the unconditional care that one can provide. And I think it's, it's always stuck with me. But that concept of, I mean, the quality of your relationship with yourself will always lay the groundwork for the quality of the relationship you're able to build with others. And also that the relationship with self is one that you are in longer than any relationship with anyone else, whether you want to or not, (laughs) like you are in that relationship, right? So it is worth putting in the time and effort to make it a good one, to make it a sustainable, supporting, healthy one. It's funny, right? Because what was it? There was that research paper that came out. It was like in the last few weeks and it was saying, was it 70 or 80% of the thoughts that people have were negative about themselves, something like that. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's those like subconscious tiny things that you kind of don't even realize, but they happen all the time. And it's like, once you start to becoming more in tune of like your own internal system, you start to just notice how often those actually come out and it's a lot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It really is, isn't it? And it's, yeah. And I think another challenge though, the relationship with self is you're right. Again, the awareness comes before intelligence. So I identify like, how am I currently showing up in terms of my relationship with self? And like you said, that's where we can identify, Oh, like, negative self-talk. Oh, a lot of like self-doubt, a lot of self-sabotage in different ways. 
And then making the change also takes time, right? And patience and compassion, like building a relationship with a stranger, right? Or someone that maybe you've had a bit of a tumultuous past with and you're reconnecting. It takes time to build trust and energy to build the trust, right? There's an element of patience that goes into improving the relationship with self too. Absolutely. And and I love what Dick Schwartz does with this is as he starts to work with folks' parts, when they show this, you can, they'll basically tell you they're not super trustworthy of you at the beginning. Sometimes it happens, not, not every time, but if they do, if they don't trust you, they'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and he just has this, this technique where he says, well, for the next 30 days, I want you to go check in with them. And that's part of that trust and relationship building. And his actual goal with that is not just 30 days, it's to turn it into a habit. Mm-hmm. But it's very much this, it doesn't, it's not like tomorrow you're healed, right? It's like over 30 days, you'll build trust with that protector part. And then maybe it'll trust you to relax a bit. Or maybe it'll change roles or whatever. But it's not a you know, five minute exercise and you're done. Even if you're working with Dick, who's supposed to be, you know, the leading person in the world in this, right? It still takes that time. And that's always like developing trust with someone else. Absolutely. Right. Let me turn a question back to you, like based on that, right? Because I know it is a challenge for some of our clients, right? They want the immediacy of like, okay, I've realized that it's like not supportive, but I just want it to be better now. And to have the patience to kind of build that relationship, like you said, through repetitive, consistent behaviors, what's the benefit of doing that? What's the value? What makes that repetitive practice worth it? As someone who is already, you know, you've grown so much over the last several years, like, what would you say is the value of doing it? Yeah. I mean, the value is huge. The other side of it, is you can speed up the process. And this is why I talk a lot about psychedelics in this show. And the way my psychiatrist described it was, it's like you're going down a ski hill and you have these ruts in your mind. And because you've done them for, you know, for me, it was like 35 years, right? It's Mm -hmm. like, they're very practiced. And what, the ketamine does is it puts new snow down and then you can ski where you want. And so if you take the psychedelic intentionally and then you're intentional about, like I always had therapy the day after basically. Um, And so if you're very intentional about what's happening in that window, you can directly transform your thoughts quickly right? Because it gives you, and it even gives you four weeks of neuroplasticity. So during that four weeks, it's not just the one dose for the hour and a half you feel it. It's also for the next four weeks, your brain is more open to change. And so that's the neuroscience. But the the, the outcomes really is like what we talked about a few weeks ago on this pod, right? Is like, I went from walking into Susan's office, preferably because we're on Zoom, um, 
But within three and a half years, I moved to Costa Rica and I did a TED Talk, right? In both in in ways I like I never would have done a TED Talk on leadership because walking into her office, I actually thought leadership was bullshit. Mm-hmm. Because I like had only experienced bad leadership, basically, and like I even took one of these leadership things in industry, and I was like, "This isn't even like leadership; it's just like managing people on projects. Like it wasn't really anything inspiring." And so, I think that really is is kind of the model. And then, in terms of like my day to day there's so much more peace internally. Um, I always likened this to when I was at MIT. At MIT, I literally obsessed about the next thing I needed to do at all times. And so it was always like, okay, I finished this project or I finished this homework. What's the next thing? And I'm going to think about all the things I need to do until I figure out the next thing. And then I'm just going to obsess about the next thing until I do it. And so it was always just like, and that actually made me successful in that environment, right? And then like later on in life, that became obsessing about suicide and depression, which was not successful. But a lot of folks will resonate with this is is there's protector parts that are hyper vigilant and hyper focused on things. And you may even... Like I ha- I was diagnosed with OCD, right? But now I don't have that. And I never did treatment for OCD. It's just uh, healing the parts and building trust just allowed those protectors to transform out of those roles. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of the other side of it is your day-to-day will change and you'll be able to find moments of peace where... It was not possible before. Yeah. It's so fascinating, right? It's so much changes. It's the level of self-trust. It's the conversation that's going on behind the scenes and how that conversation triggers certain emotions, which leads to certain behaviors. And when you think about it, if that conversation is turned on its head, right? Like if instead of saying, you're not good enough, you're not worthy, you know, you're not capable, you're not competent, all of a sudden... There's messages of you can do this, you can do anything you want, you're capable, you're strong, you whatever, it's of course going to lead to different emotions and different behaviors, which your story obviously exemplifies to a T. And that's the thing, right? Is like we talk about 95 to 97% of our thoughts are subconscious, and also all of our thoughts are governed by our mindset, right? And like, mm-hmm. you know, this is like a high a fellow high achiever, former high achiever, right? It's like taught to just like stuff it down and push through, right? Like that's what, that was all sports was. It was just like, just stuff it down and just do it. And like school was kind of similar, right? And it's like, you're still pushing that rock up the hill. Even though you're going to do it, it's hard. And it's sort of like if you transform those beliefs about yourself, it's no longer pushing the rock up the hill. The rock actually starts rolling down the other side because Mm -hmm. 
you know, those 95 to 97% that you're not even aware of. It's like, mm-hmm. I always, I, I started using this example, MJ, which is like, you ever driven somewhere and you just get there and you're like, I don't even remember how I got here. Like how many <laughs> red lights did I run? Like, did I do something bad? Right? Like that's, that's what's happening. And like even sports, right? Like when we were playing, you're just playing. You're not thinking like, oh yeah, I got to put this foot in front of the other. I got to do this. I got to, you know, catch the ball. And then like, you it just sort of like muscle memory happens. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the piece for folks is like, those thoughts are like, are you going to apply for this job or are you just going to close it out of LinkedIn or not even quit, like not even click on it? Are you going to call this person? Are you going to ask this person out? Are you going to like eat better because you, you know, you value yourself more? Like it's all these small things, but you get enough at bats, I guess at the plate, things happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love your analogy of the rock up the hill versus down the hill, right? And it kind of ties to what you were saying about just experiencing more peace and calm because it's amazing what happens when you can limit or mitigate that internal resistance to self. Like you're, you know, you're up against resistance internally and externally. And that weighs on you, whether you realize it or not, right? Like your bandwidth, your mental capacity, your emotions, it really just downplays ultimately the energy you have to commit to whatever it is you're doing. The exertion is so much greater. So when you can limit that internal resistance by improving the relationship with self and kind of changing that dialogue, it really does make a difference. Yeah. And and I think it's... And we talk about, well, Tony used this and I really love it is like, if you call or you think about protectors as playing defense, it's like once you can connect to self and you can allow basically your defense to go away, you can grow without limits and without speed, like limiting speed either. Mm. And so I think that's the other piece, right? is like, you don't have to play defense. So you're not worried about, well, what's this person going to think of me? Or, you know, when you step on the stage, you're not going like, please accept me. Because if you don't accept me, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's mm-hmm. just like, I'm here. This is what I believe. And I'm going to tell it in the best way I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, there's so many parallels, right? In terms of a relationship with someone else. Like if you have a loving, supportive partner who empowers you to see your strengths and makes you feel capable and confident, it really does have an impact in how you show up in the world. And conversely, if you have a toxic partner, right? Who limits you, who cuts you down, who highlights your weaknesses rather than your strengths, makes you insecure, like it's tough to navigate that, right? And it's just understanding that all of that is at play inside of us. Totally. And it's funny, right? Like, I, like obviously, I talk a lot about asshole bosses, and I posted a video on LinkedIn yesterday, and it was about passive-aggressive bosses, and I had a chihuahua. <laughs> I don't know if you saw it, but there's up the street, there's, like, these little chihuahuas, and they come out, and they'll bark. They'll bark like crazy, 
right behind you. But then when you turn yeah. around, did you just run? <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, this is the perfect, like passive aggressive model. Um, yeah. But anyways, I, uh, I posted that video and I was like, you know, with, if you have a passive aggressive boss, like you have to be very like forward and direct about the boundaries that you're setting because they don't like confrontation. And so if you're, if you kind of bring confrontation to them, it'll, sometimes it'll help them sort of realize, Hey, like this is what's going on. Other times it, it can go a different way. And that was what I got a comment of was like, Hey, like what for some of these people, like what if it makes it worse? And I was like, well, ultimately it starts here in self is like, what are you willing to accept? Because that's what allows you to set a boundary or not. And it's like, mm -hmm. if you just want to not care about yourself, then working for a bad boss will literally kill you because the science says it will. Like, mm -hmm. I didn't make this up. This is like yeah. real stuff. And, but if you care about yourself and you have like learned that you're worthy and you're deserving to have a good relationship at work, that will change what you allow. And one mm -hmm. is that will make you set boundaries with your boss. But also if they get worse because you set a boundary, you'll be like, well, here's another boundary. I'm quitting. Right. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so interesting. Right. And it's, it's a shift in terms of what you're concerned about. Right. And it's like the whole battle between intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. Right. So as the employee, am I more concerned about how my boss feels about my performance or am I more concerned about my own sustainability and well-being? And it doesn't have to be completely one or the other, but if you're sacrificing your needs for that person, right? You're right. It, it never goes away. I always say like, no one will ever create boundaries for you. You just <laughs> won't. Right. So you have to, you have to make that effort to create boundaries for yourself, but you're right. It, it depends on that relationship with self in that decisive moment. What are you telling yourself? I love it. MJ wrapping up here. We I always love this question is, if there's anything you could tell our community of leaders, what would it be? Mm. I would say release the expectation or the pressure that you put on yourself to be perfect, to have all of the answers, and to be able to solve all of the problems. I think that demand that we put on ourselves is really, and we, we work to support so many leaders to try to negate that because that drive for perfection is what really limits our capacity to show up as the leader we want to be and to sustain not only our own performance, but the performance of those we're leading. And I say to let it go because I hate to break it to you, but humans aren't perfect. Like we are inherently flawed. And I think the sooner we can embrace that and lean in with the curiosity as opposed to the judgment, the better we are for ourselves, the better we are for the people we lead, the better we are for the people we love. And that's actually the root of it, right? Is if you imagine that 
that judgment part of you is a child, and you can't even think they're dressed up like a judge with the curly white yeah. wig and stuff. Curly wig. <laughs> <laughs> um, like how how would you lean in with love and compassion and curiosity to understand what that part is trying to do to help you? And that's the reframe. Because we often look at that and go, you know, it's a bad part, right? And it's like, I've been there. I had one that's trying to kill me. And it's like, you're bad because you're trying to hurt me. But mm. the switch and the trick is actually, it's trying to help you. And if you can understand what it's trying to do for you and give it the love and compassion that it needs, that's when it'll release. So start yeah. there, folks. MJ, obviously, f folks, the first week of September, they got to check out the High Performance Coaching for Women podcast. It'll be available wherever you're listening to this one. So check that one out. And on Instagram, you can follow MJ at Today's Coach. We've dropped her LinkedIn in the podcast notes as well, but you can find her, Margaret Jennings, on LinkedIn. Is there anywhere else you want folks to find and follow you? That should be about it. That covers the socials that I frequent. Perfect. And obviously, if they want to get coaching from MJ or me or Susan, head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com. Also, we have a wide variety of group programs that both MJ and I coach, including conflict management, the Leadership Launchpad, and more. So head on over to Elite High Performance there and hit subscribe to the Leadership Launchpad Project on your favorite podcast platform and drop us a rating and review. That'd be super helpful. MJ, do you want to leave anything for our folks? Just that you said, right? Lean in with compassion and curiosity and leave judgment at the door. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, MJ. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you all next week.